Hey, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Ashley. And you're listening to All Bodies, All Foods, presented by the Renfrew Center for Eating Disorders. We want to create a space for all bodies to come together authentically and purposefully to discuss various areas that impact us on a cultural and relational level. We believe that all bodies and all foods are welcome. We would love for you to join us on this journey. Let's learn together. All right. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of All Bodies, All Foods. Ashley and Sam are here, and we have a wonderful guest joining us today, Miss Amy Brown. Amy Brown is the co-host of The Bobby Bones Show, iHeartMedia's award-winning country radio show. Amy also hosts the Women of iHeart Country and the Country Top 10 with Bones. She recently launched her new podcast, Four Things with Amy Brown, and also hosts the Outweigh podcast, which aims to break the stigma and expose the truth about disordered eating. She is the co-founder of Espoir, a clothing and accessory line that benefits organizations and initiatives in Haiti. And last but not least, she's also a mother. Amy, thank you so much for being here with us. Welcome. <laughs> Quite the intro, um, <laughs> naming the different things. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited to be here and talk about this. It's rare that I hop on somebody else's podcast, especially when it comes to the disordered eating, body image, eating disorder space. So thank you all for inviting me. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for being on here. I was, I, I joined Amy's podcast Outweigh um, a few months ago, and we talked about all sorts of things, body image, um, working with teenagers, things like that. And I really wanted her to be able to come onto our podcast um, and share her story and um, just talk to us about her experience in general. And so, Amy, I would love to just hand it over to you and learn a little bit more about you. Well, when it comes to my eating disorder, uh, I found it or it found me, (laughs) however you want to look at it, um, when I was about 13. And I don't really know, here's what, here's my theory behind what it is. Cause I think I spent years in therapy trying to chase down what caused me to start to eat more food or restrict more food. And for me personally, I truly feel that my experience was I started dieting too young. Mm. So around that time I was exposed to dieting before that I hadn't really there's some circumstances that happened where this family came to live with us for a little bit mm. and the they were building a house. It was sort of like a, hey, instead of renting somewhere, my mom was like, come stay with us, which was totally fine. I love them and it's there's no ill feelings, but the mom was a dieter and mm. brought mm. in different things into the house that I was like, oh, okay, spray butter. Oh, what's this? And so yeah. I started putting these things in my body that my body was like, I don't really, this is not doing anything for me. So then that led to more and more restriction. And it was the 90s. So also everywhere I looked, it's yeah. fat free this, fat free that. So I was like, oh, I can have all the snack welds in the world. There's no <laughs> that. But the problem is I would restrict and then I would eat a whole box of snack welds. So it was binge restrict, binge restrict. And then the binges would get bigger and bigger to where then I needed to figure out a way to purge. And for some people that's working out for me. Sometimes it was two hours at the gym, but honestly, that was sort of, by the time I got to high school and college, two hours at the gym was sort of praised. 
Right. Uh, so I didn't ever see that as a purge. Yeah. Uh, and then, and I purged the other, I would, you know, force myself to purge in other ways as well. So I knew that I was very damaging to my body. Um, I think even emotionally it stunted me, mm. uh, but I have compassion for myself back then too, because I was just doing the best that I could. And my brain actually was trying to take care of me. Mm-hmm. So when I say that, I think I started dieting too young. Part of my big, a big part of my recovery was a book called Brain Over Binge. Mm-hmm. And it it was the first book in my adult life. I was late thirties when I discovered it, where a light bulb finally went off because I had done all kinds of talk therapy and I couldn't really figure out why I couldn't get to the bottom of this because yeah. even when I wasn't purging in a way. And so that, that made me feel like I was in some sort of recovery. Yeah. Uh, I was still restricting and binging and I couldn't end the cycle. And when I say binge, I'm not just talking about overeating uh, or eating too much or having multiple meals. Like I was in those completely in my kitchen standing there for maybe even an hour, like just zoned out, not even realizing all that I had just consumed until finally somehow I come to, and I'm yeah. then, then that's when the freak out would happen. Yeah. But I started to just kind of, again, not purge. So somehow I thought I was in a form of recovery. I also think I spent years, uh, with orthorexia thinking I was in recovery, Uh, but really I was obsessed with eating clean and it was so mentally taxing to where I could barely eat out or go out to eat or eat food that my family had prepared because I didn't know exactly how much oil they used and whatnot. I just have so many years of uh, disordered behavior that we could honestly be here all day long, but to put a bow on it, the yeah. brain over binge really resonated with me. And then I think it all dates back. Yes, I had issues with my dad and he left us as a kid and there was stuff I needed to work through. And an eating disorder is perfect at numbing out things. Like if you yeah. want to numb stuff, yeah, that will, that'll do it. And so I do think I used it as a numbing tool, but I also think it, it showed up for me because my brain wasn't fully developed and I started starving it. And yeah. then when I would give it food, it would be like, okay, well, I'm going to eat as much as I possibly can at this moment, because I don't know when this girl's going to feed me again. And so my brain was just doing the best that it could to try to take care of me. And uh, then that just went, you know, and here we are on and on. And (laughs) here we are. I'm I'm almost um, three years into full recovery. So wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was March of 2020, so 2023, this would be three years that I deleted my fitness pal, which was also the month that my Outweigh podcast launched. And, but I was still clinging. Like I thought, oh, but I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And my co host for that is a registered dietitian, Lisa Haim. And she said, Amy, I want to encourage you to delete it. I still mm-hmm. feel like you are going to bed every night and able to sleep because you still have that control and you enter in everything that you're doing. And I said, well, I'm just doing that for knowledge. Mm-hmm. I want to know, I want to make sure I've eaten adequately because mm-hmm. part of my recovery too is eating adequately Yeah, because I don't want my brain to ever think I'm starving it again. Right. But uh, so that was, and I remember kind of having the 
for about two weeks, I was sort of freaking out because I couldn't enter things into my fitness pal. And then I got over that hump and now here we are. That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing all, you bring up so many important components of the healing journey. And one of the things that stands out to me is the concept of scarcity. When our body is feeling like food is scarce, when our brain is feeling like food is scarce, binging is actually a survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. And it's so helpful, I think, when people, when that clicks, when it's like, oh, my body's supposed to be doing this because I'm not actually getting the food that I need and I'm in survival mode. So thank you for bringing that up because I think especially with binge eating episodes and binge eating disorder, there's so much shame. Like, why am I doing this? What's the reason? And it's because your body's trying to protect you. Right. I remember it was either late high school. I was maybe a senior. I remember Googling because nobody talked about binge eating. This was the 90s, late, Mm -hmm. late 90s. So I graduated high school in 1999. Mm-hmm. But nobody was talking about it. I mean, you knew what anorexic looked like. You knew what uh, bulimia was because that was, you're in high school. You knew people talked about certain things. You knew that, period. But it's not like anybody was like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I binge eat. That's it's right. not, it was just something felt, yes, like you said, more shame around that. Mm-hmm. And I remember actually thinking, oh, well, why can't I have the one that just, where I don't eat at all and I can yeah. get to that mm-hmm. space. And uh, I, I say that with full awareness that like even people that have gone through that would say, oh, no, don't say that because mm-hmm. I just, I know how painful every part of um, any type of eating disorder is. Uh, whatever you're facing, it's, it's just taxing and exhausting and it's, it can be put you in a really, really dark place for sure. So I just want to make sure I recognize that because, but I mean, I, I don't know if y'all ever found yourself wishing you had it this way. Cause that seemed like the more acceptable way. But I remember trying to look up if there was overeaters anonymous. And I almost went to a, I didn't end up going again, cause shame, but I sourced a meeting in my town that was Overeaters Anonymous. And that's the closest I got to ever really online, at least the description, understanding or knowing that I wasn't alone in whatever was happening. Um, But again, I never even went to the meeting. But then thankfully, we're at a place now, 23 years later, (laughs) but we have been for quite some time. So, you know, 15, 20 years later, people started to talk about binge eating. And then I think that that helps people realize, oh, that is what I'm doing. Because for so long, I didn't have an explanation for it. Mm -hmm. I would just even Mm -hmm. in, I know I've pictured myself in my 30s doing it, my 20s, but I can even think back to when I was 16 years old in my dad's kitchen, getting home from a night out. And it wasn't a regular teenage, I'm snacking too much thing. It would be, I would just stand there and dig and dig and dig and look for anything and everything that I could grab. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, it's interesting too, because it became a coping mechanism for me, even though I think it started with the dieting and the binge restrict. But since it did help me numb out, I was like, oh, this is a helpful tool. Uh, Even when I thought I was in some form of recovery, when I was orthorexic, I wasn't really doing a a lot of the binging or the restricting, no purging. Uh, but definitely orthorexia for sure. Um, And then my mom died. 
And mm-hmm. uh, it's like literally my brain again, kind of did what it needed to do. It's like, oh, wait, I know how to protect you from this pain. Yeah. You just ate dinner. Let's go get rid of it. And I just remember just being so aware, but also felt like I had no control. It's like, I knew what I was going to do. There was nothing you could do to get to stop me. Mm -hmm. And then that is what led to, that was 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. So that lasted six years until 2020 full recovery. Mm. So it can, you can relapse, like it, it, right. it just can yeah. and come back in different ways, but our brains, I, again, I have compassion for that moment and that person and who I was. And I'm actually like, wow, cool. Thank you brain for trying to take care of me. And I even have some addiction in my family that I And now when I look at, I used to be so confused by some of their behavior and now I have compassion for it. And I'm actually like, wow, you might be an alcoholic, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's also, again, that was your coping mechanism. That was your way of numbing out. You're actually like, your brain was actively trying to find a solution to this world. Exactly. And that was its way of doing it. Yeah. Amy, I just want to say I get, um, as a therapist, as a clinician working in this field, I personally get super activated when I hear others say eating disorders are all about control. Um, It's about control issues, you know, yada, 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 because I could not agree with you more about the fact that this is a coping mechanism. This is something that our brain is desperately trying to do to help us in a scenario that feels overwhelming and unmanageable. Um, and I just, I want to echo your words so much. And because I know that we have listeners that are hearing you today and they're like, well, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. Even, even back, you know, at the very beginning, when you, you mentioned like at one time I wanted to have this, you know, eating disorder over the other, like, why couldn't I have this one? Our listeners are experiencing this. They're understanding this. And just to echo again, that like, it, it really is something that kind of takes over our system, takes over our brain and is something that helps or, or so we think, right. That it's, that it is helping, um, serve us in something that just feels totally unmanageable. It serves a function. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's serving you until it doesn't. Exactly. That's because you will hit either a breaking point or, or there's death. Like it's, I felt as though I, when I was actively in my disorder, it was a slow suicide. Yeah. And I honestly was kind of okay with that. Like Mm -hmm. I would, I would know because there was times where I thought, oh my goodness, like, I don't know what's happening with my, because you're the behaviors and how you're treating your body and what is happening is not normal. You're asking your body to do something that, you know, whether you're, you know, I've done the laxative thing too. Like you're, however you're mistreating your body, um, it's having to respond to that. And, and then, or, you know, you look at your organs and wanting to take care of them and your heart rate when certain behaviors are happening and your throat, like I kept thinking my eyeballs, I feel like they were going to pop out of my head or my brain was going to explode. Like I would have all yeah. these feelings or like my neck. I just remember thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be able to move my neck after like, there was just so many things, but also in that moment, it didn't matter. 
Mm, and, definitely. but then I would also think, oh my gosh, if I were to pass out and die right here, this is how people would find me. Mm-hmm. Um, right. but then, you know, I had to finally get to a place where enough is enough. And I was like, this is no longer serving me. And I want connection in my life. I want to free up space in my brain because it completely consumed me. I want to have relationships with people. And it's really, really, really hard to have relationships with people when you have an eating disorder. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're disorders of disconnection. Yeah. Amy, I'm curious. So, so you talk about like kind of the eating disorder starting when you were a teen and then, um, kind of having some years of success and then having that relapse. I'm curious, can you think back about those initial points when you were younger? What was the catalyst that like encouraged you to get help the first time? And then the second time, like after the relapse, my thought is there is, or or there maybe was more shame or more kind of like yuck attached to it the second time. What was the catalyst? What helped you say I can't do this anymore. Like, I know I want something different in my life. So the first time I ever threw up, I remember calling my mom after and I told, cause yeah. I had done it at my dad's house and I called my mom and she was, I was like, I don't understand what just happened, but this just happened. And she immediately put me in the mm. therapy. Uh, which I was very thankful for. But of course, I think that therapist literally was like, okay, well, let's get to the root of this. Like what's, oh, well, your dad left. Duh, that's it. And it was sort of like, okay, end of story. (laughs) This is why you're doing it. Your dad left and you're a high schooler and you want to feel uh, thin. And I'm like, no, I I mean, I guess the initial dieting was something about that, but it's because I was exposed to it. And then, yes, society was saying this, this, and this. And I, I honestly do remember friends that I felt like they could eat and eat and eat whatever they wanted. And I remember being jealous of that Mm because I didn't feel as though I could do that or I didn't have, and I felt like they had such self-control around food. Um, But thinking back, they were my friends that they didn't, they weren't exposed to dieting. They weren't trying to control their food. So they ate when they were hungry, they stopped when they, and I remember being so jealous of that. Yeah. But I think for me, it boiled down to, for me, dieting too young and my brain doing what I was going to do, but then having thankfully a relationship where I could tell my mom right away. And then I continued to the purging. But here's the problem. I didn't realize that going to the gym for hours on end is purging. Was purging, so yes. I didn't have that knowledge to know that I was being unhealthy. And so then when I got to college, I was still kind of on that maybe once a month, maybe quarterly, like I still dabbled in the, but I still had no control around food. None. It was yeah. off the charts. Like it was just so bonkers. And and I had such an unhealthy relationship. Uh, my friend and I were actually, the story came up for the other day because she, she's our friend Kat DeFada. So yeah, she's yeah. a therapist and she was telling me how she really wanted a sesame bagel with butter and she picked it up to go. So she didn't check the bag. And when she got home, it was a sesame bagel with cream cheese. And mm-hmm. she was just having one of those days and it made her, she cried over a yeah. freaking bagel. Yeah, And she it wasn't about any of her disordered eating past. Like it had nothing to do with that. It's just that she really was annoyed that she drove to try to do something nice for her and her boyfriend. And then her bagel was messed up. But clearly I was like, let's get to the, surely there's something (laughs) else going on that's bothering you. But it made me think of a time Uh where I was in college and my boyfriend made me eggs and he used the yolk. 
And I went, I lost it. It's almost like mm. I, he broke up with me and I get it. Like now, like looking back, I'm like, I would have broken up with me too. I was a nightmare. I couldn't even re recognize that someone did something nice and made me breakfast. My brain could only fixate on the fact that I can't eat these eggs now because there's yolk in them and I only yeah. eat egg whites. Yeah. And so, well, after he broke up with me, I think that's when I also did some self-reflection of like, oh, I got to get control of this. But I just found other ways to just, to disguise it. It's almost like, yeah. okay, well, I'm going to make it that I can't eat gluten or I can't eat yolks. Like my body can't handle that. So then I had all these, I'm, I was trying to get pregnant. So I read this one book that sent me on a whole disordered eating path, path yes. because I had to be vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, but it was yeah. the perfect disguise because yeah. I got to walk around and being like, oh, well, sorry, I'm on this special thing because I'm trying to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. But really, if you were to dig deep, I was using that as my beard, <laughs> like my way of continuing my disorder behavior, but with permission yeah. from everybody else because, oh, she's doing this special thing where she barely eats and she uh, controls everything mm -hmm. because she she wants the baby. Mm -hmm. mm, that eating disorder is sneaky. I know. I never got pregnant by the way, but yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if I went back to your original question of like getting help to go back to that. I remember going to my mom and then going to the therapist and it being like, okay, I don't really still feel like that's helping me. But then it was before I got married, I kind of, um, or right after college, I think maybe it was after that boyfriend had broken up with me. I know mm -hmm. it was right before I met the, the person that I ended up marrying. Yeah. So it was somewhere in there that I decided it's sort of like I'm getting this fresh start. Yeah. So I'm no longer going to purge or throw up. And that's when I started my calculation of how long I went without throwing up. But, and again, that's what I defined as recovery. But if you look back and knowing all we know now about disordered behaviors, I was not in recovery at all. Because that's when I was doing that BS about, you know, trying to get pregnant and the fertility, I was right? Yeah. And, and to some extent, there is some control things I think that end up happening because you sure. want to, um, and I can see for some people where it could be a total control thing, but for me, it just got to where, you know, it was just obsessive and I couldn't like, I was a total buzzkill anywhere that I was. My sister was so annoyed by me because she would be trying to cook, which is her love language. And mm. I'd be like, D -d 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 -d. can you use this oil instead of that oil? And um, yeah. actually you don't even really need oil. Do you like it just was, I was micromanaging mm. everybody else and it was, it was exhausting. And so yeah. it wasn't until I really wanted to stop and put in the work like 2019, 2020, where a light bulb went off and I'm telling you, I got that brain over binge, but I think I was also in the right headspace to be committed. I had to put in the work. I had to decide enough is enough. I'm tired. It was mainly connection. I think I had also had some friends, some people close to me in life that had shared. They didn't really feel like they knew, like we were connected and that mm -hmm. I was, I cared about them. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I do care. But the thing is, you're so again, consumed with your eating disorder that even though you know that you care, you're actually not there for your people because yeah. you don't have the headspace like mm -hmm. you're 
you're very wrapped up in what's going on with you and food and when's your next meal? When, how are you going to get rid of this? When can you go to the gym? You're on vacation. You can't really enjoy people because you got to get in the workout. Mm. Like everything was just ruled by that. So I think it was also listening to those around me that are like, Hey, like, I don't feel connected to you. And it's like, Oh shoot. Mm. Okay. Well, how do I want to show up in this world? And now it's like, okay, enough is enough. It, it, mm -hmm. This served me. And you know, I have to know too, that something else may pop up and I'm thankful that I really feel like I can confidently say here that I put in so much work yeah. the last couple of years that my dad ended up passing away in 2021. Mm -hmm. And my response just in my mind, body, spirit response mm -hmm. to my dad dying versus my mom. And I loved them equally was so night and day because yeah. I was in such a safer space with myself. And I allowed myself to really grieve, yeah. which I don't even know that I fully grieved my mom until after I was in recovery because yeah. the numbing started the day after she died. Yeah. And so I tell that story as hope for people yeah. and to know, like, don't, don't give up on yourself. There is hope. There is room for healing but it takes work. You cannot sit back and be idle with this. This is something that is, you know, a, a, a daily ever until maybe some days you're like, oh, well, look at me strolling yeah. through life. I haven't really thought about food today, or I haven't made a big deal about this, or actually I haven't worked out in three days. Well. Mm -hmm. Like, and, 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 and nothing is impacted. Your life is still the same because Lord knows we all have those days where it's like, I would, I would not work out for 24 hours. And somehow I would feel that my knees were, you just started to think crazy thoughts. Yeah. You'd be like, Oh my gosh, I feel it in my knees. My knees are, my knees are getting fat. I didn't work out today. I mean, it's like, and that's not even where my eating disorder started. It just sort of like, you start to, I don't know, you're just make stuff up. Yeah. It really mm -hmm. sometimes can come on so innocently. And before you know it, I mean, you're just, you're so in deep and you have these intrusive thoughts and and it really had nothing to do with like maybe the initial starting point or what was going on, you know, initially. Right. But yeah. Okay. I'm I'm thinking too, Amy, just about what you shared about your your length and your time frame of everything. And it, you know, so many people that we work with, like they may have something going on internally. They may have some disordered eating. They may have a full-blown eating disorder. And it can be so overwhelming to discuss and talk about that often we may not see somebody presenting for help for years, right? And like, I think bulimia, specifically the um, binge purge cycle, we might see when we see somebody finally come into therapy and come to get help, they may have been experiencing this for five or more years. Um, I worked with a client with anorexia and she was in her 60s when I first started working with her and had really could pinpoint back to her teenage years and had never received help prior to then. And so just to say, like, what you're sharing with us, that makes sense to me that, I mean, it sometimes this can be years long um, before we're maybe in that headspace to do some of the work. Well, especially when the eating disorder is so convincing that yeah. you're not sick enough, 
Yes. You know, oh, yeah. well, you're not, you're not doing this that much, or, you know, other people are much worse and mm-hmm. that can really interfere with your willingness to come forward. Yeah. I think too, you can, your eating disorder, which is your brain. It's very smart. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so it's, yeah, breaking that, building those new neural pathways takes time and it takes patience and it takes compassion. I, I love that word mm-hmm. um, when it comes to eating disorders. Um, mm-hmm. Compassion is so important. Like, let's get to the, okay, now that if you have the time to figure out the why, okay, now that you figured out the why and like you can, I say this to myself a lot too, like, oh, you know, I forgive myself for having certain thoughts or treating my body that way. Like, but saying it out loud to myself, like body, I, I forgive, I forgive me for doing that to you. Um, and then you can release some of that guilt and, and, sh- you know, the shame part, it, it's, it's tricky. Cause again, you don't always hear a lot of people talking about it. You almost have to seek out these outlets that right. like, y'all are talking about it. Or if you're at a treatment center, um, or you're somehow you're around people, you have a support group, Um, But if you don't have any family members or friends that have experienced an eating disorder, it can be very isolating and lonely and confusing and they don't understand. And, uh, you know, my sister, I I bring her up often. She's one of my best friends and she's obviously known me my whole life and she's never had an eating disorder. And, you know, funny thing too, bringing that up to that therapist back at the beginning, like my dad left her too, (laughs) but she didn't develop an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she also, she never dieted. She never invited that into her life. So then she Mm -hmm. always seemed to have a healthy relationship with food. And she's someone that I felt comfortable that I could talk to, but she was just like, gosh, I hear you. And like, but I don't get it. And then also you're annoying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I was so obnoxious to be around. I mean, I felt safe um, talking to, um, you know, my husband at times. Uh, but again, until you find the right people that you can talk to that are going yeah. to really hear you and try to understand and offer advice that's going to be helpful and not perpetuating the problem or triggering in any way. Um, you know, it's hard to find that space depending, especially if you're just now having that light bulb go off. Cause like you said, some people have been living with an eating disorder and maybe they're aware of it and maybe not. Like there's right. so many right. disorder behaviors where, I mean, on out way, we get emails from people, uh, that say, yeah, I'm, I'm 50 years old and I, I'm listening to some of the stuff you're saying. And I do all of that, but I had yeah. no idea it was, um, a disordered behavior. I just thought, well, this is how I live. And they're kind of exhausted by it, but they just thought that's life. Mm. Right. And there is so much more space and true, like room for joy and happiness. And not that I didn't experience any of that when I was in my eating disorder, I did, but there's so much more space for it now. Yeah. And you have room and you're not living so small. Like, I just feel like my life was so small and, mm. but people on the outside looking at my life, cause I could still show up and put on my game face and do my job, very public job. People would have no idea that like, right. I had an episode last night. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, did that add another layer of complexity for everything for you being a public figure? 
Well, since it, it all started way before my career yeah. ever did, I guess I can't really say for sure other than as an older woman and, you know, age is relative, but I'm 41 years old and a lot of people that come into our studio or around us are these, you know, I just have to watch myself because, you know, a 23 year old artist will come in and I'll be like, oh my gosh, you know, and it's more, I'm not even talking just, you know, body or physique, but it's just how we can be so hard on ourselves aging yeah. and, yeah. you know, appreciating like different things about us. Like I'm not going to look like a 23 year old. I am mm -hmm. almost 42. Like, it's just, I'm not going to do that. So it's more so not letting yourself get wrapped up in who you're sort of around a lot. And yeah. also I don't have, they have stylists, they have the hair and the makeup. And, you know, right. I've had some of that from time to time, but some people you just being, I could see how being in this business and being around people that have all these bells and whistles and lights and things like it can just make you start to like feel eh about yeah. yourself. But I think the pendulum swung for me big time. Like I had sure. to finally level out. Like, I think I would swing so far one way. I remember being obnoxious at work actually, uh, when I was first in recovery, cause I was just so irritated by all the news stories out there that would, um, place so much fear around certain foods yeah. and call foods good or bad. And I'm like, yeah. food has no moral value. And I was just on this high horse of <laughs> why are they putting out this article? And now people are going to be scared of potatoes and potatoes are good. Yeah. And, but again, not good, not bad, not moral value, but like, I want people to feel safe to eat a potato and not feel guilty if they eat a potato right. because some article was done. And then now I get to make that decision for myself. My brain isn't doing it like in this weird trance of like eating a bunch of Oreos. It's more, do I want an Oreo today? And, and have grace for yourself. It takes a while to get here. I'm not someone that's trying to say this happened to me overnight, but I was someone that I could never have Oreos in my pantry. And now right. I have two kids and they're like, thank God mom got in recovery because now we can have Oreos in the pantry. Right. And I know that I, if I want an Oreo, I'm going to have an Oreo. If I don't want an Oreo, I'm not going to have an Oreo. And I think that for a little bit, I had to eat as if that was normal. I'm going to eat an Oreo every day as if that is normal. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I regulated. Right. Mm -hmm. But I had to kind of give myself that permission to sort of be a rebel and do whatever the heck I wanted. But yeah. then again, I'm not being a rebel because it's allowed. And <laughs> then I, I regulated. So you'll find yeah. yourself like you know, kind of swing in back and forth-ish until you sort of land and you find your groove and then you're in your rhythm. And then hopefully with the right tools and the continued work and the continued support, you can stay there. But if you happen to swing, give yourself grace. Well, this is exactly what Evelyn Tripoli talks about with intuitive eating, you know, giving yourself unconditional permission to have those Oreos. And over time, there's habituation, you know, you, mm -hmm. you start to tune into your body and realize what, you know, what you want to eat, what you enjoy, what you maybe don't enjoy so much. But yeah, yeah thank you for bringing so that up because things. it's a process. Yeah, there is so many things that I used to it over and eat because I didn't allow myself to have them. And honestly, right. I don't think I really was paying attention to how they tasted, but it was like, oh, blah, blah. and I, you know, I'd consume it all. And then now that I have permission to eat it, I'm like, this is actually not even good. 
Right. Like, right. I am 0% <laughs> satisfied by this. Um, and of course I found some things where I'm like, okay, this is still my sweet spot. I love it. But other things are so funny, the pedestal that I have them on. Right. And yes. I actually don't like them. And it's sort of funny because there was a time where I probably would have consumed so many of them that I made myself sick. Right. right. Well, labeling right. food as forbidden, it gives it this power. It's, I mean, that's why we always teach, like, let's not label any food, good, bad, forbidden, safe, unsafe, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it takes time. And, you know, thanks for that reminder, Amy. It's like, this doesn't happen overnight. Your eating disorder didn't happen overnight. So learning how to eat intuitively is not going to happen overnight either. And I also think about that coupled with other behaviors too, that we talk about a lot in the eating disorder community. And Amy, when, when I was on your podcast out way, I remember, I don't remember fully what we were discussing, but something had to do with social media. And we were talking about filters and you said filters are fun. And I have thought about that forever and ever and ever. Like it's filters can be fun on social media. We can use those. We don't have to use those to like alter and shift and change everything. We can use those for fun, right? And in the same way with food, food can be fun. Food can be enjoyable. And when we finally allow ourselves to consume food in general, yes, we are going to find things that we don't enjoy tasting and we're going to find other things that we do enjoy tasting a lot, you know? So finding that balance. Um, I just love what you were saying about that because it does take time and it, and maybe sometimes our, our pendulum will swing hard right and hard left at times. And that's the process of recovery. We get, we get to have those moments and we get to then kind of maybe be real with ourselves you know, go internal, see what our experience was and maybe process that with somebody too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, yeah. Yes. Self-discovery. And I think also to becoming a mom contributed to um, my desire to go back to your earlier question of like getting help and that light bulb finally going off of like, okay, I'm done with this. It was, I had also been a mom we adopted. So I had a daughter who's, yeah. was when she came to live with us was 10. And so when I got into recovery, she was about 12. So she lived two years with me, um, with my eating disorder. And she is very thankful that I'm in recovery (laughs) because her life is so much better. She gets to enjoy certain things that I used to not allow. Like I said, uh, the Oreos in her house. But I mean, it was so bad when they first got here. I remember being so annoyed at church because the Sunday school class had given them this bag of candy and I wasn't going to give my kids candy. And I just moved to America and I didn't want them to think like they just get all this candy. And I was really just uh, projecting all of my stuff onto them and making them live this life of the, and, um, just so many things. I was like, my kids aren't going to have this kind of food and we're not going to eat processed and I'm going to cook all the time. And you know what? Actually, I became a mom and realized I don't like cooking that much. This is not my thing. Like I have a few things that I make and I make well, and I do that. But both my kids, um, 
listen to their bodies well. And I learned a lot from them. And I think that becoming a mom actually flipped that switch too, of wanting that connection with people, having space, like having yeah. brain space for them and to sh showing up as a better mom for them as well. And now I'm able to not only have more space and connection for them, but I'm more fun. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that that's important to like, just understand that about ourselves, that it's okay. Like we have our younger selves, maybe have expectations of our older selves, right. And how like life is going to pan out and mm -hmm. it's okay to shift that narrative. When you get in that space, it's okay. Just to go back to that phrase, self-discovery, it's okay to have that. It's okay to realize that you don't love cooking every day and you don't have to. Yeah. That's huge. Giving yourself permission to change is really important yeah. because I think I learned, I, I wish I would have understood that earlier in life, but Hey, I'm thankful that I've got it now at, at 41 instead of maybe, yeah, at 70 thinking, you know, I think my dad is someone as an example, not eating disorder related, but he was in his seventies before some light bulbs went off for him. Yeah. And you know, he passed away at 79, 80, or just before his 80th. And, um, you know, I often think of him like, oh, well, shoot, I wonder if he wishes he would have done some, some work earlier, um, to try to show up differently. But I'm thankful for the years that we did have some of that change in him. That was really cool to see, but I don't want to wake up you know, I don't want to waste all this time. Like I'm thankful at least I woke up in my late thirties. Yeah. Um, and for some people, maybe listen to this right now, they are, they're 18 and they get to wake up now or they're yeah. 21 and they get to wake up. How exciting. Um, but also if you're older than me and you're listening to this and you're 61 and you're just now waking up, okay, great. You're waking up. So what's yes. the next step? What are you going to do? Yeah. And then it, by next step, it's just the once. what's the next right thing. Cause it can be yeah. so overwhelming. It is completely overwhelming. Yeah. Because you just want to skip to the good part and let's like go ahead and get to the recovery. But you've got literally you are rewiring your brain yeah. and that takes you doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and again over. and believing in yourself. Yeah. And I'm a story of hope because I honestly thought how I lived in my brain was so messed up. And I just thought, well, this again, this is how you live. This is life. Like yeah. I, it's just, this is the way it's going to be till I die. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, wow. Now I know that's not how it has to be till I die. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Amy, you've shared so many pearls of wisdom and we're about to run out of time, but before we go, I really just want to ask you like, what is something, so thinking about your recovery, thinking about these last three years in specific, what's like, one piece of, of wisdom or your journey that you want to leave with our audience today? Well, I mean, I feel like we've shared a lot of it, but to um, sort of leave with some more encouragement, it would be like that you deserve to do this for yourself mm -hmm. um, and know that you are worth it. Because I think I spent a lot of time deep down, mm -hmm. not thinking that I was worthy. Mm. I mean, and that's without getting like too deep into some therapy yeah. stuff. But I think that when you're deciding to, you know, get help and 
lean into recovery and do what you need to do to take care of yourself. That's something that is for you. Mm -hmm. And, but you have to believe that you're truly worth it. And I honestly still, even in early on, like that's something that came out even a year and a half, two years after I had been in this three years of recovery that I've been talking about. Um, I'm still working through like you deserve good things. Like you are worthy. And, um, I think sometimes we can, because we don't think that there's a lot of self-sabotage that can happen. Um, and so awareness is key though. So yeah, my last bit of, of information on that, or my last little nugget would be self-reflection, self-awareness. Sometimes that can come out through journaling. Um, how maybe you don't journal. Okay. Well try, because I feel like that is a very, um, powerful way to like get some stuff out. Yeah. And then because you you can't know that you're not feeling that you're worthy until you're aware of it. So yeah. that's where the self-awareness comes in. And again, that takes work. So um yeah, in a nutshell, you deserve good things and you are worth it. That might need to be the title of this episode. I was just thinking <laughs> that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Most well, hard for us to think that we, you know, and that that sabotages can be real, especially when you feel that guilt or that shame or that it's like, okay, well, I'm this crappy person. This is if anybody had any idea, if they were inside yeah. my head right now, they would think I'm a crazy person. So I therefore I am crazy. And then you just it's like it perpetuates, like you just yeah. get on this hamster wheel. So yeah got to get off. You got to get off. Well, I think that's a good place to end this episode. Thank you for listening to All Bodies, All Foods. And thank you so much, Amy Brown, for sharing your story of hope with us today. If you loved this episode, you can support us by subscribing, rating, leaving a review, or sharing it with others. And if you want more, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Our handle is at Renfrew Center. For free education, events, trainings, webinars, resources, and blogs, just head over to our website, www.renforcenter.com. And if you have any questions you'd like us to answer in a future episode, email them to us at podcast at Hope you join us next time on All Bodies, All Foods. Thank you for listening with us today on All Bodies, All Foods, presented by the Renfrew Center for Eating Disorders. We're looking forward to you joining us next time as we continue these conversations.